are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Kai Carlin of Locked On Sixers as the Philadelphia 76ers make their move and get their guy, James Harden, at the NBA trade deadline. Daryl Morey, once again, trading for James Harden. What does this mean for the 76ers? And are they now favorites with the pairing of James Harden and Joel Embiid in the Eastern Conference? Then we go to the flip side of that trade and chat with Adam Armbrick of Locked On Nets to understand what the implications are from the Brooklyn Nets side of things. Why did they ultimately move on from James Harden? What does the fit look like with the return package of Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and Andre Drummond alongside Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? What's the best possible outcome for the Nets this season? And lastly, we chat with Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans. Is the Pelicans making a move to acquire CJ McCollum bringing him into a kind of younger crop of Pelicans players. What does this move mean for the Pelicans? And will they be able to scrape and claw their way into that final play-in spot in the Western Conference this season without Zion Williamson, who may or may not return this year? But first, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And as always, we sincerely appreciate you for making Lockdown NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is one of the hosts of Locked On Sixers, Kai Carlin, who you can follow on Twitter at Kai underscore Carlin. Kai, I don't know how he did it, but. Daryl Morey gets his guy successfully trades for James Harden for not the first time, for the second time in his career. The Ben Simmons saga coming to an end. Kai, walk me through your immediate thoughts when it was announced that this trade, you know, was made official, given all the lead up, all the build up, all the drama surrounding the Nets, the rumors swirling about. Just give me your immediate thoughts. Uh, I was surprised it, it happened at the deadline. Uh, I always had- I, we all knew Harden was going to be a sixer one way or another, right? So for me, it was just like, it was like, okay, um, they'll probably have their talks, but I, I feel like they're going to get it done at the deadline because it really seemed like Brooklyn was asking for a lot. Brooklyn was asking for Tyrese Maxey. They were asking for Matisse Thibault. They were asking, uh, you know, for Seth Curry along with Ben. Obviously, they ended up getting Seth, but the fact that the Sixers were able to keep Tyrese and Matisse, like that, that's that's a huge deal considering, you know, now that they've traded away Ben officially, the only defender they have is Matisse and in terms of perimeter defending. So the fact that they can bring in a, an, an explosive guy like James Harden now um, and team him up with Joel and uh, Tyrese and Matisse as a defender, Tobias Harris is like a, um, another scorer out there. It, it's a big move for sure. It's, um, you know, give credit to Maury. He was able to get it done. In your eyes, how does this affect kind of the 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 playoff race in the Eastern Conference? I mean, you've got Joel Embiid, who, in my opinion, is playing like this year's MVP and the best center in the league. That's no disrespect to Nikola Jokic, who is also having a phenomenal year. But Joel Embiid is just on another level this season. So you pair him with another arguably top 10 player in James Harden when fully healthy. And I, I, I kind of view the Sixers as depending on, again, health permitting, I kind of view them as potentially the number one team in the East now. See, I don't. And, and, and it's because like outside of James and Joel, 
Um, and, and James and Joel, like, you know, they also have a history of kind of coming up a bit small in big playoff moments. It's not, it's not just a James thing. It's a Joel thing too. So they still have, they still have a lot to prove. James, they're both, James is going to the hall of fame. I'm not saying James is like some scrub, like James Harden is James Harden. What I'm saying is if you look back at his playoff history, his numbers are great, but there was a specific moments. We all remember game seven against the Warriors, um, you know, when, during his time in Houston, uh, we all remember game seven, even with the Nets last year against Milwaukee. Granted, he had an injury, but he shot one for 10, I think, in game seven. So, I mean, you know, like there are some big moments where it's just like, damn, because James going to be James. And then also, let's not forget uh, game six against the uh, the Spurs, um, you know, back, I think it was 2016, I think it was, or 2014, something like that, when he like absolutely was awful at home uh, against San Antonio. So, you know, th- there are... It's just little moments here and there where it's just like, damn, James. Actually, I think it was 2017. Um, but it's just like, damn, James, like, like what's going on here? Um, but and Joel, too, like Joel, we all remember Ben passing up the dunk in game seven, but Joel had like seven or eight turnovers in game seven that night against Atlanta. So, you, you know, like that, there are still some questions that need to be answered. Um, they also don't have a lot of time to get this thing down chemistry wise. Uh, if you remember, they traded for Tobias Harris three years ago at the deadline. Um, and that starting five of Simmons, J.J. Redick, Jimmy Butler, Harrison, and Bede only played 10 games together before the playoffs even started. Um, so they, they obviously there's a lot of potential, but I like I like a lot of teams in the East more better than I like the Sixers at the moment. Okay, that's and that's that's fair. And you're you're the you're the Sixers expert, so maybe I'm maybe I'm overshooting here in the hype surrounding you know. Surrounding, I should say, James Harden and Joel Embiid, and that what that pairing you know could potentially look like on the floor. But you kind of touched on it there. You know, I do think there are a lot of kind of playoff demons that James Harden and Joel Embiid have to kind of exercise, and there's a lot of pressure on those two going into this postseason. But at this point, you mentioned you know some of the other teams that you like ahead of them. How many teams do you currently put ahead of them in the pecking order of the Eastern Conference? Well, for one, it has to be Milwaukee, right? You know that that's that that's the defending champs. They just they add, just added Serge Ibaka, which is I feel like a move nobody's really talking about. Um, Ibaka is going to be like a really huge piece uh, to Milwaukee's bench. Like you're adding a championship big man to your bench unit, like that's an incredible move. Um, they're also going to get Brook Lopez back at some point. I think I read in March the big man can come back. He hasn't played since opening night, and that and then all of a sudden the Bucks are healthy again. Um, so I look at Milwaukee and they have to be number one. Um, I love Ben Simmons fit in Brooklyn. I love it. Uh, the fact that he doesn't even have to shoot. <laughs> it's not going to matter in Brooklyn. He's playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Also, the rumblings that the vaccine mandate could be lifted by the playoffs in New York City and Kyrie can play in home games. Like, I mean, I mean, you got to look at Brooklyn, too. Uh, I know they're on 11 game skid and it's like whatever, but they haven't had Durant. Obviously, Kyrie's a part time player. There was the Harden thing. Um, and now you're, you're going to put a team with Ben Simmons surrounded by Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Seth Curry, and, and potentially Joe Harris if he doesn't have to undergo a second surgery. Brooklyn's a dangerous team. And there's Miami. The Heat are the number one team in the East. Um, that team made the NBA Finals two years ago, and they've been together. They know how to play with each other. There's chemistry there. Um, and going back to Milwaukee, Milwaukee's played with each other for, for three, four years now with Middleton, Holiday, Giannis, all those guys. And then you look at Chicago. Uh, with Lonzo coming back soon, Levine, DeRozan, you know, like the Bulls are going to be tough and the Cavaliers. I know you're going to be like, Kai, it's the Cavaliers and they just beat them last night. But when you, when you look at it, Cleveland's got so much length 
and you could tell it bothered the hell out of the Sixers on Saturday. That bothered the hell out of them. They just were able to get it done because Joel's Joel. But uh, the, the Cleveland's length with Allen, Mobley, um, they didn't have Mark in him. Um, but when he comes back and then Kevin Love off the bench, that, that bothered the hell out of the Sixers. So it's going to be – there are some teams where I'm, I look at the East and I'm just like, I'm not putting Philadelphia in front in, in number one at all, Like especially when you look at what's going on here. There, uh, there's a lot of talent in, in the Eastern Conference this year. It's for absolutely certain that the, the top heavy teams in the East, I mean, it's it's kind of a bloodbath out there. But going back to the Sixers here with Joel and with James Harden now, what about that dynamic fit between those two players are, are you most excited about seeing you know come to fruition on the court? Probably the probably the two man game, like the pick and roll between the two of them, um, because that's going to be that's going to be deadly to stop. It's going to be so hard to stop because it's like. Are you going to stop Joel rolling to the basket, or are you going to stop him? And by the way, Joel can shoot jump shots. How are you going to stop him when he when he pops out? Um, and then when you go with a hard closeout, he's going to pump fake and go straight to the basket and, and either get a bucket or he's going to you know, you're going to foul him. Uh, same thing with James. Um, if you go if you roll with Joel, you're going to leave James open for a step back for the one of those pen that step back threes, or you're going to um, allow him to drive to the basket and get, he's probably going to get fouled. So Sixers are going to foul out a lot of teams. I feel like. Um, uh, with these two, with these two guys, but um, you know, like that's what I'm looking forward to the most. Um, I'm looking forward to, to the shooting, though, because without Seth, like again, you're relying on Matisse Thybul to shoot the three ball. He's he shoots 30. percent You're relying on Danny Green to you know kind of get back into a groove, and he's kind of been up and down this year because of various injuries, COVID, and everything else. It's kind of been a tough year for him. Um, and, and then you're also relying on Furkan Korkmaz, who's shooting like 28% from deep this year. So it's like, you know, like there, are, like I said, there are a lot of questions when it comes to this team that they need to be answered. And this is why, like, I'm not putting them number one, especially when you look at the landscape of the Eastern Conference. Um, oh, by the way, I'm adding the Toronto Raptors in there as well. The Raptors have been sneakily, sneakily very good this year. I forgot to add them in there. And Boston's been hot. So I don't know. The East is tough. The East is very tough. I, I gave you like this olive branch to to you know put the Sixers up on a pedestal, and you were like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, Jackson, we're not going there yet." So, <laughs> that, you know, I, and I do. You you kind of talked about it there. The I I feel like it cannot be overstated how important Seth Curry was for this team. Yeah. Obviously, you're getting James Harden back, so you right, have to cool. make that deal eleven out of ten times. But losing Seth, that's a big piece. Who was a, a big piece for the Sixers team? Yeah, he was huge. You know, I mean, he was having a down year. I put that in quotations, and he was shooting forty percent from deep. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I mean, come on. I mean, like, forty percent's a down year for a guy like Seth Curry. Um, and also another thing too, Jackson, they don't have a backup big man anymore with the trade of Andre Drummond in, included in that Harden deal. And again, you do that eleven times out of ten, you're getting James Harden. But they have. You can't rely on you know a sixteen year vet and Paul Millsap to be the backup big man to Joel. Or a, a second-year Paul Reed, who we all like Paul Reed, but he doesn't, he can't do it yet. He can't fill that role. So now you got to wait for the buyout market. You got to see if a Tristan Thompson will shake free. You got to see if a Robin Lopez will will uh, be available, um, or or any other proven big man. So yeah, there, there are there's a lot of questions to be answered about this team, man. When can we expect James Harden and Paul Millsap to uh, first suit up for the 76ers and make their debuts? I don't really have an answer for that. You know, Doc. Doc really had. Doc's really kind of been like, I'm not really sure. Um, I, I've heard rumblings on maybe Tuesday against the Celtics. Uh, you know, Thursday they're at Milwaukee. I'm gonna actually gonna be taking the trip to Milwaukee when they take on the Bucks on Thursday, just in case that that's his debut. Um, 
But, you know, I've also heard rumblings that could be after the All-Star break. So, you know, I'm not really sure when James suits up for Philadelphia. Well, you're going to keep us posted for all of that and more over at Locked on Sixers. Kai, thank you so much for joining me on Locked on NBA. Jackson, thank you so much for having me on, man. Coming up, the Brooklyn Nets side of the James Harden trade at this NBA trade deadline. What will Ben Simmons look like in a Brooklyn Nets jersey? But first, a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. Because look, this is about that time of year where your New Year's resolutions start to fade a little bit. And if you're finding it a struggle to stick to whatever dietary restrictions you've had from your New Year's resolution, Built Bar can help you power through. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They're so delicious, so amazing. Every single bar covered in amazing 100% chocolate. They're not gritty or chalky like other protein bars on the market. And the flavors that they have. So many great ones to choose from. Strawberry, cookies and cream, peanut butter, mint brownie, my personal favorite, coconut brownie chunk, raspberry. You can't go wrong with a single bar on their menu. Every single bar is low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. Great if you're on a keto diet. Great if you're trying to power through and stick to your New Year's resolutions. And you can check them out. Just go to Built.com and use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your very next order of the best tasting protein bars on the market. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA, where we thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. For your next listen, be sure to check out the Locked On Now podcast, nightly recaps of every single NBA game with analysis from our local experts. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now is one of the hosts of Locked On Nets, Adam Armbrecht, who you can follow on Twitter at Adam Armbrecht. Adam, it, it happened. James Harden no longer a member of the Brooklyn Nets. Steve Nash looked into the camera and spoke to all of us in our living rooms and said, we are not trading James Harden. And yet here we are, trade deadline has passed, James Harden no longer in Brooklyn. Walk me through your immediate reaction to this deal with Harden on the way out and Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and Andre Drummond headed to Brooklyn. Yeah, listen, that's uh, Steve Nash's job, by the way, as is the head coach and GM's job. It's to kind of lie to the public when something's happening behind the scenes, right? That That's the the NBA playbook, the coach playbook, when these things kind of things happen. Listen, it's the more that you hear about on the back end of how James Harden was feeling in Brooklyn, basically this entire season, it felt like this was an inevitable move that the Brooklyn Nets had to make. Didn't want to make it. Their goal was to have those three superstars, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, winning a championship for them. But once you get to the place where it looks like you are not going to have one of those superstars fully committed to that process, you have to look around the league and see what's possible. Obviously, Ben Simmons in Philadelphia was a great opportunity because of his circumstances and what he was not enjoying with his current team. So, you know, we, we said going back to when people debate about how much you give up for James Harden to get him from Houston. Is it too much? You make the trade a thousand times out of a thousand because you want that elite talent on your team. Likewise. Now you make this trade out of necessity. And now you just have to reset yourself to what this team can look like going forward, short and long-term. So does this kind of, in your mind, Adam, does this shift the expectations, at least in the immediate short term, for this Brooklyn Nets team? Because obviously with the big three at the helm, despite, you know, the the health issues and just all everything going on, you know, the struggles of the Nets, it, it basically felt like it was championship or bust for that group. Does 
do those expectations get shifted a little bit now and maybe things being a bit more understanding of, okay, we're bringing in Ben Simmons. Now we've got to kind of acclimate with him and see what's going on. I guess kind of what are the expectations for the rest of this season? Well, when you're a team that's lost 11 straight and set the first time in NBA history, being a team that was both above 500 and had an 11-game losing streak, obviously it's it's hard to look at it right now in this moment and say, well, the window hasn't shifted a little bit, right? For the Brooklyn Nets, you've extended your championship window, I think, potentially, because Ben Simmons is under contract on a similar timeline to Kevin Durant, and you can really start to reevaluate how you want to form this team over the next couple of seasons. In the short term, I still stand by the fact that at the latest, we're looking at mid-March for Kevin Durant to come back. You're going to get Seth Curry out there. You're going to get Drummond on there. And then the question is going to be, how long does it take for Ben Simmons to get into basketball shape? When you look at this team, they are going to be more balanced offensively and defensively than they were when you had James Harden. Now, how long does it take for everyone to get on the same page? That's the big question mark. But if you look at the Eastern Conference, this is still going to be a team even if it's in the 10th seed playing game that is going to be in the playoffs. And I just do not see a world where Kevin Durant is not going to approach this the same way he did last season. Injuries or otherwise, I'm going to try to take this team to a championship. And I think you have to at least leave the door open to say, depending on how they look together, they are still going to be one of the top threats in the Eastern Conference. I, I just do not see how you can look at the talent they're going to have and the defensive value that Ben Simmons brings in and say that they are not going to be an incredibly difficult out early in the playoffs and certainly be there when it comes to the Eastern Conference Finals and buying for a spot in the championship. Yeah, the, the potential fit of Ben Simmons alongside Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, I'll admit it's, it's intriguing, right? On paper, he is arguably a better fit alongside those two stars than James Harden was because suddenly you have a guy that can just defer to the other two, create for them, doesn't necessarily have to you know, focus on getting his own, I guess, if, if that's the way to put it. And then you mentioned his defense, right? What he brings on the other side of the basketball. So how, I mean, are you really intrigued by this this potential fit and kind of what the on-the-court product is ultimately going to look like once you can get all those pieces in place? Not to mention, I mean, Seth Curry having another lights-out shooter to kind of replace uh, Joe Harris uh, with that kind of question mark surrounding him and whether or not he actually makes it back this season. Yeah, Ben Simmons, 15-8-8 guy, right? If he can come in and set that type of baseline for himself with the Brooklyn Nets, it's incredibly exciting to get them out there on the court. When Harden was brought in from Houston, Kyrie Irving said, I defer to you. You can be the point guard. I'll play off ball. You run the show. Now, I don't know if that dynamic will be exactly the same once Ben Simmons gets his feet underneath him, but it's good to know that Kyrie Irving is more than willing and capable of allowing Ben Simmons to facilitate a little bit. We know that he likes to do it. We know that he's more than capable of it. The way that it'll look different for Brooklyn now is you're talking about a high-level passer who makes the right basketball decisions that can work out of the two-man game, the roll to the basket, and then distribute to perimeter shooters. And you can put Kyrie and Kevin Durant in that, but you mentioned them. Patty Mills has been an elite three-point shooter for this team this season. You now add Seth Curry into that mix, and whether or not, Joe Harris ever makes it back the Nets did do this double step of also getting in more shooting value out of this trade so when you talk about balancing the court James Harden is not a high level three-point shooter he can take them but he is not a 40 percent plus shooter from beyond the arc Seth Curry is Patty Mills is we can think about whether or not Kessler still has a small role on the outside here but all the spacing is going to be more effective there and then you mentioned the defensive piece of it the big components for me are one we know that you can look across the court and say, Ben Simmons, you go take on the hardest matchup on the other side. That's your job now. 
but it also has the trickle-down effect of alleviating the pressure on Kevin Durant on the defensive end, the pressure on a young player that's still a part of this roster, and Nick Claxton. And I keep, I keep coming back to this after the trade was made. The defensive value of having Ben Simmons and Nicholas Claxton, who are two guys that can switch on almost any assignment, and then telling Kevin Durant, you pick up the third hardest task on the defensive end. It's a lot of length. And it's a lot of switchability that they can utilize on that end of the floor. And I think you'll start to see this team who in recent weeks has really waned on the defensive end and from a consistency standpoint. Now they can lock back into that as being one of their cornerstones and everything that it unleashes on the other end. You know, Adam, I think like given the optics and just kind of how that situation had devolved with James Harden, it feels like the the Nets were forced into making this trade. But the more that I think about it, and you can push back on this if you'd like to, I come away thinking that this trade might be a very like clear, like both sides are going to find a way to win out of this trade. Is that a, is that a overstep on, on my behalf? No, I looked at it as, so just quickly from the Philly side first, once they get James Harden, they went from having a crack of a championship door this year, maybe. So now you open that door. You have a chance to win a championship this year. You have a chance next year. From the Brooklyn Nets side of it, beyond James Harden not wanting to be a part of this team, seemingly, or factually, you also now say, you know what we're not going to do? Get into signing you to a $55, $60 million a year extension in the offseason. And I think that, that, you know, it's hard for fans of teams, it's hard for Brooklyn Nets fans to look at this and go, what a relief, we won't have to worry about that in the offseason. But it matters. You just extended the value and the window for Kevin Durant and for the Brooklyn Nets to win championships. They'll make adjustments to this roster, but Seth Curry is still under contract next season. Joe Harris's number at least still exists on these books and what it can be, as is Patty Mills, as is a lot of these key pieces. So, yes, in the moment, it's a hard pill to swallow, I think, for Nets fans. Philly fans are incredibly excited at the possibility of this season. But again, talk to me the final day of the NBA season as the playoffs approach, and if anybody is a fan of, of sports and storylines, you want to see somewhere along the way here a Sixers-Nets matchup in the playoffs. Oh, that would be that would be the absolute dream scenario for everybody involved. And given the way the standings are looking currently, not an unlikely possibility at this point as the Nets will hopefully, you know, find their way a little bit, you know, creeping back up into the standings. And then maybe the 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 Sixers find themselves, you know, home court. I don't know. We'll see how it all shakes out. But Adam, when can we expect Simmons, Curry and Drummond to actually suit up, you know, for the Nets? The final parting shot for James Harden was waiting 15 minutes after the Saturday night tip off against the Miami Heat to clear his medical for the Sixers, which prevented the physical, which prevented Seth Curry being available for the Brooklyn Nets. So uh, Curry and Drummond are going to be ready immediately. They play uh, tonight back at home. That could be an option for them. They're going to be ready. This is the the benefit for the Brooklyn Nets. We think about bringing players is these two guys have been playing meaningful minutes for a team all season long. So they'll be right back into it. There's some speculation that from a Ben Simmons perspective, obviously he's going to ramp back up. Kyrie Irving, once he was able to play away games, he stepped onto the court and almost instantly was in form. Now, that's unique maybe to Kyrie and his dedication. Some people think that Ben Simmons has been keeping himself in shape. Some people think that the Nets should work really hard to have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, even if it means a road game, on the court together with Ben when he makes his debut. The tricky part is when you look at the schedule, the standings, and the losing streak, at some point the Nets are just going to say, we just need to have the most talented bodies out there on the court to be able to give us a chance to win some ball games here. So 
short term, I wouldn't expect to see Ben Simmons before the All-Star break, but kind of regardless of what Kevin Durant's timeline is, I think you have to have Ben out there following the All-Star break at the latest because his presence alone can steal you a handful of games. And that's what the Nets are trying to do here until Durant gets back healthy, steal a few wins, keep yourself afloat, and then have that 14-16 game charge before the playoffs to acclimate to one another and hopefully get yourself in a spot to win some meaningful games in the playoffs. What will the post-James Harden-era Brooklyn Nets look like? The new big three of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons. You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Nets. Adam, appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Always, man. Coming up, CJ McCollum is now a member of the New Orleans Pelicans. How has he looked in his first couple of games as a member of the Pels? What does this mean for the immediate goals of the Pelicans franchise, their chances to make it into one of the play-in spots this season, as well as the long-term vision alongside Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. But first, a quick message from our friends over at Bet Online, because football might be over this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season and it's not just basketball betonline.net is your source for hockey boxing ufc odds right to the latest olympic coverage and information head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action bet online where the game starts And final segment here at Locked On NBA, where we thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Now, for your second listen, go check out Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Make a little bit of money with Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now is host of Locked On Pelicans and also co-host of Locked On NBA Wednesdays, Jake Madison, who you can follow on Twitter at Nola Jake. Now, Jake, the newest member of the New Orleans Pelicans, CJ McCollum, he's had a couple games under his belt already this past week, and we're going to get to those in a second. But first, just kind of walk me through the the logic on the Pelican side of things, acquiring and going after a guy like CJ McCollum, who doesn't exactly you know, line up with the timelines of some of the other guys on this, you know, younger Pelicans roster. You know, I, I think this was a move that the Pelicans looked at could benefit them on three different levels. Certainly it helps them this season in the fight for the 10th spot. And you're seeing like an arms race for the 10th spot in the Western Conference in that play-in tournament right now. They have a bottom five offense in the league. They're one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. And if you have a chance to bring in a guy who's averaged over 20 points per game for the past seven years, maybe you need to take that chance. And they also did it for a guy who has shooting off the bounce. That's not something they have here in New Orleans right now. Most of their shooters are really spot up guys, no one that can really kind of get their own shot, create for themselves outside of Brandon Ingram. So bringing in CJ McCollum, who's a 40% shooter from three, a career 30% shooter on um, off the dribble threes. I think that's an important thing that they wanted to try and add to the roster at a fairly cheap price. Yes, it was a first round pick, but it's got numerous protections on it. And I think New Orleans just saw an opportunity to kind of push their chips in and go get the best player available that really tried to fit them. So it helps them this season. Certainly it's going to help them next season when presumably everyone's healthy more shooters around Zion Williamson is never going to be a bad thing and you need more shooters that are really going to make teams pay teams are always going to double and triple Zion down low so you need guys that are going to 
make their threes. And again, New Orleans is one of the worst shooting teams from three in the league right now. A guy that's above 40% for his career is a really important thing. But I also think on the third level, it sends a message to Zion Williamson that maybe this franchise isn't as dysfunctional as he may be thought. And hopefully this will ease some of the tension between him and the front office saying, hey, we're trying to win. We want to get into the playoffs too. Look at what we just went and did. With CJ, he's had a couple games under his belt now. His first outing against the Miami Heat. Both, both games losses, uh, unfortunately, from the Pelican side of things. Uh, against the Miami Heat, he had 15 points, 6 of 21. And then he absolutely exploded against the San Antonio Spurs. Had 36, went 15 of 24 from the floor. Jake, how has he looked in these first two games? You know, And how is he meshing with those other guys on the floor? You know, I think he himself has looked good. You saw it with the 37 points on Saturday against the San Antonio Spurs. He looked a little bit like a different player, right? He was not just a shooter. He was really trying to get downhill, score at the rim, and try and create a little bit more for others. I think the Pelicans plan on using him as somewhat of a primary ball handler, not something he did in Portland. Both these games, he finished with five assists, so you're seeing that number tick up a little bit in kind of the ways they want to use him. And again, it's a proven score. The 37 points there on Saturday really do prove it. But there is a little bit of trying to kind of figure out the chemistry between him and Brandon Ingram. And for the start of the San Antonio game, you kind of saw it be like your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn, which isn't the way to really kind of get in a groove and to try and run kind of like a free-flowing offense, which they want to do. I think that's something that just gets worked out with Todd. You know, that first game against the Miami Heat, he had been in New Orleans for less than 36 hours, probably tired, just trying to get out on the court and push it a little bit too hard, do a little bit too much. They're lucky that they have three more, four more games at home right now. So this gives them a period of time where you're going to get more practices. You don't have travel days being on the road. So I think it's advantageous that they ended up trading for him right around the trade deadline where he could come in, get into their facility, start to get a little bit more acclimated. Certainly there's some issues with their rotations right now as they try and integrate a new high usage guard. It's just one of those things that's going to take time. We've seen it before in New Orleans when they traded for DeMarcus Cousins a couple of years ago. They lost the first couple of games that he played because you just got to kind of figure out what to do. That'll come with practice time, I think. You know, what has been kind of the, the vibe in New Orleans surrounding this trade? And I want to kind of hint at what Willie Green has kind of built, the culture he's kind of cultivating there, because even after the trade was was made official and announced, you had a couple of Pelicans in the stands that had been traded showing up to that that second of the, the two games back to back, the home and home against the Houston Rockets. You had players that had been traded away from this team show up to show support for their guys on the floor. And I don't know if that's ever happened before in NBA history. And it kind of, I think it is a bit of a testament to the, the culture and kind of the brotherhood that Willie Green is building in New Orleans. Yeah, I, I've never seen anything like that before. Willie Green himself had said he'd never seen anything like that before. And David Griffin, who runs the franchise, had never seen anything like that before. It was a strange moment. And after the game, the first thing the Pelicans did after that win was go over to those guys, Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander Walker, give them hugs, spend some time with them. I guess say their goodbyes in a sense too, but that was immediately what they did after the win. So to look at the turnaround that Willie Green has orchestrated in terms of culture, chemistry, as you said, brotherhood, family, we could use any of those words with it. From Stan Van Gundy a year ago, where they hated playing for him. No one really wanted to be here. Everyone kind of went their separate ways at the start of the offseason. It's it's a huge 180 in, in the course of one year. And I think it's 
speaks to maybe a trend you're starting to see to some degree of former players getting hired as coaches because they're able to relate to some of these guys a little bit better. And I think that's truly the the biggest thing. Look, whether they make the postseason or not, you know, they've it's kind of been a revol- revolving door of head coaches. First Alvin Gentry, then Stan Van Gundy, now Willie Green in three years. This is the guy that I think is the one that's going to lead the team for the future. And I think at least they get that right. They're starting to build a culture here. So even if they don't get into the postseason, at least you've laid the groundwork for that. But CJ McCollum's been welcomed with open arms. He seems really excited to be here. All of the other players seem really excited to be here with him. I've never seen so many players run over to help him off the court. If he gets hit and knocked down, you see four guys around him right away, all arms out trying to pick him up. They're definitely building something in terms of like culture. And as you said, brotherhood here. And it's, it's nice to see in the city's responding well to that. This is a team that is very easy to root for, has a lot of likable guys in Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, even undrafted guy, Jose Alvarado has been really fun to watch play. So the city's responded well to them, even if they're not the best team right now. Jose Alvarado had one of the greatest like in-game, like wired for sound moments playing against the T-Wolves coming up the court. And D'Angelo Russell is like, can this guy shoot? And he fires back so sassy. Yes, I can shoot. And then next you see a clip of him nailing a three-pointer the next frame over. Um, I'm glad you brought up Herb Jones because he's a name I definitely wanted to uh, ask you about here just because Herb Jones has had a really quality, like, you know, a sneakily good rookie campaign. And I think when we look back on this previous draft class, he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be taken a lot higher than he was originally that, that high second round draft pick by the Pels. What's been the most impressive part about his game through his rookie campaign? You know, there, there's two things, right? And he's the 35th overall pick in this draft, and he started 44 games this year. That's an absolutely incredible thing to be able to see. You know, first and foremost, it's his defense. He's an excellent wing defender and easily in the upper echelon of wing defenders. I don't know if he'll make an all-defensive team just being a rookie like that, but he's going to get votes for it. And it's kind of, he's kind of put some people on notice. You've seen a couple of crazy blocks that he's had, especially recently against the Miami Heat. Two on corner threes. He blocked Bam at a bio from behind. It's a guy that can kind of guard one through five at times that you've seen from him and it's truly like an impressive to see his basketball IQ just knowing where to be and being such a smart defender but his offensive game which is why he fell in the draft one his age and then not really having much of a jump shot or an offensive game has grown as the course of the year has gone uh has gone on he's shooting 36 percent from three it's not an elite number but that's a far cry from you know what people thought he might be shooting and so I think that's really grown you're seeing him average about 10 points per game steadily adding to it first is more of a spot up guy but now willing to work off ball and try and cut get the ball on rim runs things like that so you've seen that just steadily progress even if the numbers aren't flashy but he's been a bit of a revelation for new orleans this year all right jake i have to ask just give me the latest on on zion williamson are we ever gonna see him play basketball again what's going on on that front (sighs) Uh, um so I I don't think he's going to play this year. That's, I would call it an educated guess that I don't think we're going to see him this year. David Griffin recently gave an update on him this past week saying he's still, you know, working out in Oregon at the Nike facility. Presumably, I think they brought him there to maybe like kind of get his head on right a little bit to really help him kind of progress and maybe pull him away from the situation in New Orleans to kind of let him just focus purely on the rehab. It sounds like that's going well. I've heard he has lost a lot of weight but I don't know if that foot's healing the way they want. So I don't think we're going to see him this year, but it sounds like things are starting to at least move in a positive direction with the way he kind of approaches the rehab, the way he kind of approaches being a professional basketball player. So 
I don't know. I have high hopes for next year, maybe. But we'll see. There's still an outside chance. I think he could get a couple of games in this year. And if he can, even if it's five, putting him out there on the court, I think is only going to be a good thing. A lot of things going on in New Orleans for this final stretch of the season with a lot of teams gunning for those final couple play-in spots in the Western Conference. You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Pels. Jake, appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Jackson. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, the brand new Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. Also, be sure to check out the Locked On NBA YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA, like, comment, subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.